Ukraine retakes more Russia-controlled territory in the south and east. The village of Klishyivka was liberated. This village is located not far away from Bakhmut, the area of front lines that we would call Bakhmut direction. Plus, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky attends his first UN General Assembly as world leaders gather this week in New York. Count on Zelensky wanted to come in here and to reassure everybody, no, actually, we have been making success. We, we you know, we penetrated the first belt of defense, but we need more help. We, you know, we, you can't let us down now. And later in the program, Russia is calling on the world court to throw out a Ukraine genocide challenge. Today is Monday, September 18th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. U.S. President Joe Biden will be in New York this week for the U.N. General Assembly, where he will attempt to strengthen international unity for support to Ukraine, as many countries in the global south are looking for the world body to pay more attention to development challenges and other international crises. We get a preview from VOA White House Bureau Chief Patsy Widakuswara. Fresh off his historic visit to Vietnam and the G20 summit in India, U.S. President Joe Biden will again engage with world leaders, this time at the United Nations General Assembly in New York. He is expected to rally support for Ukraine as he did last year. This war is about extinguishing Ukraine's right to exist as a state, plain and simple, and Ukraine's right to exist as a people. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky plans to attend in person to rally support for his country. He will meet Biden at the White House Thursday. While focusing on Ukraine, Biden must also acknowledge the concerns of the global south, including the climate crisis, poverty and the plight of refugees, inflation and debt reduction. These are connected because the war, Russia's brutal invasion of Ukraine, has caused ripple effects that impact food security, energy security, and uh, other forms of harm to countries around the world. And so ending this war on just terms, on the principles of sovereignty and territorial integrity, would serve the benefit not just of the Ukrainian people, but people everywhere. Not to be outdone by Chinese leader Xi Jinping, who met with Central Asian leaders earlier this year, Biden is also scheduled to summit with the heads of Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan and Uzbekistan. Uh, we don't see this as competing with China uh, for influence with these countries. We see it as building on a relationship that uh, we already have. Biden will hold bilateral meetings on the sidelines of UNGA, including with next G20 chair, Brazilian President Lula da Silva, and with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. The U.S. has expressed disapproval of the Netanyahu government's hardline policies, including its judicial overhaul plan, which critics say is a danger to Israel's democracy. Pat Suida VOA News, Washington. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky will make his first in-person appearance at the United Nations since the Russian invasion of his country. I spoke with Lieutenant Colonel Daniel L. Davis, a senior fellow and military expert from Defense Priorities, to get some insight on what we can expect when he addresses the assembly Tuesday. I'm sure that the, the context is, is the, the, you know, the elephant in the room, which, which is going to be weighing heavily over anything that happens. And that's, of course, the last three and a half months of this offensive 
that Ukraine has uh, tried to launch. And of course, it came with great fanfare and had been built up uh, for many, many months before that. Lots of NATO training, thousands, literally thousands of, of uh, NATO armored vehicles, tanks, armored personnel carriers, howitzers, and then of course, you know, hundreds of thousands, in, in some cases, millions of rounds of ammunition, and then NATO training. And that was supposed to be kind of the, the big part that was going to allow them to break through the Russian defenses and, and threaten the Sea of Azov and, and make some meaningful progress there. Unfortunately, none of that happened and, and only have they the Ukraine side has just barely scratched into the first line of Russian defense which they robbed at on September 2nd but have since been able to unable to penetrate further beyond that so now the Ukraine side has spent an enormous amount of personnel they've lost in this offensive they've lost a significant percentage of, of all the weapons and uh, armor vehicles that the West gave them and now then there is a great deal of skepticism throughout the Western world what's the use of giving them even more if they can't succeed seed here when they had a half year to prepare. The Ukraine side is very keenly aware of this. And so you can count on Zelensky wanted to come in here and to reassure everybody, no, actually, we have been making success. We, we, you know, we penetrated the first belt of defense, but we need more help. We, you know, we, you can't let us down now. We need another batch of hundreds, if not thousands, of more armored vehicles, more tanks, because they didn't get very many of the modern tanks. It was a lot of fanfare about the Challenger tank from Britain and the, the Leopard from Germany and the, and, the, and the Abrams from the U.S., but they only got a handful. I mean, literally one single company's worth from the Challenger tank and just a few dozen of the German tanks, not many of the modern ones in the U.S. Abrams hadn't even made an appearance on the battlefield yet. So they basically done most of this with some of their older tanks, the Soviet tanks that they already had. And I'm sure Zelensky will be saying, hey, I need lots of these modern tanks and I need them quickly. So that's probably what you can count on him talking about. And then the West is going to have to decide for itself, are we willing to expend another batch of armored vehicles? Because now then it's not just extra stuff that's going to be coming out. It's going to be the primary vehicle. There's no more fat to get. So will Western countries get United States, Great Britain, Germany, some of these other countries give away their equipment that's in their primary defense formations, because that's probably what's going to have to happen. I'm assuming that that's going to be the focus of Zelensky's address on Tuesday to the assembly, focusing on why it's so important to the world that they should continue to support Ukraine and probably some concern given the political state of the U.S.? Right on both counts. You can definitely count, because this has been a, a running theme, which has even been repeated in recent days, where the Ukraine side will be saying, hey, look, this is not just a fight between Russia and Ukraine. This is Ukraine on the front lines of this battle to keep you safe. This That's kind of been their running theme that, hey, if we don't win, then Russia's coming for you next. And, and I've been really confident that that's going to be some version of that's going to be in his remarks there. But the reality is American interests and interests are not synonymous with Ukraine interests. I mean, they've been invaded. They should do everything possible to try and eject this invader. And who's going to blame them for that? But the hard reality is that militarily Russia poses no convention threat to any NATO nation. I mean, they have proven that after a, more than a year and a half now of full-out combat, they have only succeeded in taking one strip of the very bordering country, maybe 17% of Ukraine, and they have been unable, at least so far, to go any further. 
And the idea that then after all the losses they've absorbed, that they could then later go attack a 32-member NATO alliance just defies any kind of objective reality. So there really is no threat to the West, no matter what the Ukraine wants to say. And Western countries have to take their own interest in, into account here, and they can't just go off the emotion that they may uh, understandably feel. Also, Zelensky is going to be attending a Security Council meeting on Wednesday on Ukraine, focusing on the principles of the UN Charter. And the meeting could create a unique spectacle with Zelensky and Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov in the same room. What do you expect from that? Yeah, that, that is going to be uh, a moment that I think a great many people are going to be watching for because there's certainly the potential for fireworks there. I think that Lavrov being the very experienced diplomat that he is over, I don't even remember how many years he's been in there, probably close to 20 years or so, that he's not going to allow himself to get dragged into some kind of a shouting match. But one can never eliminate the possibility that Zelensky may want to try to create some sort of reaction from him because anything that Ukraine can do that draws the sympathy or the good feelings of the West and, and casts the Russian side in the, the role of a villain or makes them make, cause themselves to appear that way will certainly help them. Anything that they can get to try to get the West to give them more support and not to waver is going to be their objective. But it uh, it definitely has the possibility of creating a very interesting uh, television moment, shall we say. <laughs> that was Lieutenant Colonel Daniel L. Davis, a senior fellow and military expert from Defense Priorities. Meanwhile, Ukraine reported on Monday its troops had recaptured more territory on the Eastern Front and advanced in the South in its military counteroffensive against Russian forces. We have an update from Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. We finally got confirmation from the Ukrainian armed forces that uh, the village of Klishivka was liberated. This village is located not far away from Bakhmut, and this is uh, the area of, uh, of front line that we would call Bakhmut direction. Uh, this village has quite a strategic meaning in, in, in military, from, for, for military and uh, from military perspective. And according to Ukrainian military, uh, the liberation of this village would allow Ukrainian forces to uh, create a, a foundation, better foundation for future advance in that area, advance uh, to the direction of the city of Bakhmut. Uh, we started to hear about the liberation of the village at the end of last week, but over the weekend. It was officially confirmed and President Zelensky also confirmed this in one of his messages to, to public. This is considered a very tactically important retake for Ukrainian forces as they seem to be extending their gains around Bakhmut. Are there any other significant areas that they have regained control over? Um, let's put it this way. We are hearing that Ukrainians having success uh, in, in the area, in the Donetsk region, in this area around Bakhmut. Uh, we uh, do not have any specific confirmations on any specific uh, new villages or new areas uh, that have been retaken. However, we uh, understand that the village of Klishivka, as it was liberated, it might be that the area around was also liberated. But for now, we do not have uh, any specifics confirmed by the Ukrainian armed forces. The only confirmation that we have is from the de deputy minister of defense that in the Bakhmut direction, Ukrainian forces managed to liberate 51 square kilometers of land. There 
there have been a, a number of Russian attacks in residential areas in a number of cities and villages in the past day or so. Yeah, it was another overnight attack. Uh, and um, uh, for, for now, what we know that 17 uh, missiles were destroyed by the Ukrainian air defense. And so basically all of, all of those missiles that were targeting Ukrainian uh, cities uh, in different regions. And also another drone attack with the use of 24 Russian drones and 18 of those were destroyed by the Ukrainian air defense. So some hits were reported. The main attack was on Dnipropetrovsk, Poltava and Khmelnytsky region, which is Poltava is consider, uh, considered central east part of the country. Dnipropetrovsk region in the city of Dnipro is more eastern and Khmelnytsky uh, region is uh, west part of the country. So the attack was covering quite a big uh, area of Ukraine. And additionally, the drones were targeting mostly Mukulayev and Odessa region. So it's in the south. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kiev. Ukraine's legal battle against Russia over allegations of genocide used by Moscow to justify its 2022 invasion is resuming at the UN's highest court. Associated Press correspondent Charles de Ledesma has the story. Hearings this week. I expected to see lawyers for Russia argue that the court does not have jurisdiction to hear the case, while Ukraine will call on judges to press ahead to hearings on the substance of the claims. Ukraine's case is backed by a record 32 other nations in a major show of support. Kiev filed the case shortly after Russia invaded Ukraine arguing that the attack was based on false claims of the acts of genocide. It wants the court to order Russia to halt its invasion and pay reparations. I'm Charles de Ledesma. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Laurie London. Ukraine plans to sue Poland, Hungary, and Slovakia in the World Trade Organization over bans on Ukrainian agricultural products. It follows a decision by the three countries bordering Ukraine to ban imports of the country's key export commodities. Warsaw, Budapest, and Bratislava say they're acting in the interests of their economies and their farmers. For a better understanding of the dispute, I spoke with Joseph Glauber, senior fellow with the International Food Policy Research Institute. It wasn't very surprising, just in the sense of this has been a source of controversy because a lot of the grain, particularly last year when, when so much grain was the only way it could really get out of Ukraine was going through the Eastern European countries uh, bordering on the Western part of Ukraine. And a lot of that grain was ending up in Poland and Slovakia and Hungary. Romania and Bulgaria were concerned last year, and that's in at the first part of this year. And that's why the EU ended up getting this agreement with Ukraine that Ukraine would agree to just transship grain through those countries up until September 15th. But since then, they've said, no, they want to be able to sell wherever. Certainly Bulgaria and Romania have been fine. Bulgaria said that they would agree to buy agricultural products from Ukraine, but the other countries have it, and they are still insisting that it get be transshipped, that it not end up in those markets. And so that's what Ukraine is now uh, fighting against. And again, the actions by these countries contradicts the agreement the European Union had. Ukraine has asked the European Union to step in as well, but it uh, also threatened to take 
that action at, at the World Trade Organization. What is their main concern as to why they're making this decision? Well, the, the big concern is that all that additional grain is lower, has lowered prices in those markets. There are two major concerns. One is the impact of the grain itself and the agricultural goods being sold in those countries. That's depressed prices. The other thing is the exports themselves are competing for export facilities like barges and, and storage facilities and rail cars and other things that's bid up the price of those services. And that's affecting not just Ukraine producers who have been have to absorb a lot more of those costs in the form of lower prices, but it also has affected you know farmers in Eastern Europe as well. And so that's been the big concern is that just naturally before the war, none of that grain or very little of that grain would actually go to those countries. It would all go out through the uh, Black Sea. And now with the Black Sea being just partially open, there's a little bit of grain flowing out of Odessa within the last week, but then and a little bit out through the Danube border in Romania. But but what is going out otherwise is going out through the West into those countries. Some of the European Union nations are actually calling the actions of these three countries illegal. Yes, well, according to the terms of their market access agreements, they are illegal. And that's why Ukraine is threatened to take it to the WTO. Do you think Ukraine has any legal standing on this? Well, they would. The big problem with the WTO right now is there's no appellate body, and that has nothing to do with the war or anything else. It's just the fact that the appellate body currently isn't functioning at the dispute settlement body within the WTO. So if you take a case and win a case, the country can always appeal. And since there's no appellate body to hear the appeal, it, it essentially puts it in limbo. So that's a problem. And it could be that just taking it to the WTO at least elevates it as a political issue and hopefully would get resolved like other disputes do before they actually get to a panel. What's interesting also that struck me was Poland in particular, because it's been so supportive of Ukraine following Russia's invasion. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And I think that this is the one difficult spot. The fact that, you know, they've been very supportive of Ukraine in this conflict. It's just that their producers are what they feel is shouldering part of the cost in the sense that they're receiving lower prices. The one alternative would be for the EU to step in and sort of compensate those countries, their farmers. They've done a little bit of that, but I think early on, uh, some of the countries had wished that there'd be more compensation coming from the European Union. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us. Joseph Glauber, Senior Fellow with the International Food Policy Research Institute. We appreciate your time and your perspective. Thanks, Laurie. Moscow continues to push its influence in Africa and other parts of the world. VOA's Celia Mendoza spoke with Ambassador Brian Nichols, a Assistant Secretary for Western Hemisphere Affairs at the U.S. State Department about claims of Cubans being recruited to fight for Russia in its war in Ukraine. We would like to know uh, what is uh, the sense of, of the accusations made by the Cuban Foreign Ministry about the possibility of um, getting Cubans to join um, Russian forces and Ukrainian territory to fight their war. And they have said that it might be um, human trafficking and they had given um, little details about it. And and also the influence they have in the region, China, as well as Iran and Russia. Well, it's very worrisome that people would be going to join the ranks of Russian military fighting uh, in Ukraine. Uh, this is something that uh, I hope that 
uh, the Cuban authorities can provide more information on. Uh, it's deeply worrisome as to how this is organized, whether this is uh, people being fooled, whether it's human trafficking, whether there's some uh, someone who is pushing for this uh, inside their system. I mean, they haven't told us exactly how this came about. Uh, mm -hmm. So I think the world would be very interested, uh, as well as for Russian authorities to uh, explain who's fighting there, who they're recruiting. We know that they had a large uh, mercenary force with the Wagner Group, uh, so who knows who else they have there. Uh, with regard to the presence of, of Russia or China or Iran in our hemisphere, um, you know, those are countries that don't uphold the same values that the people of our hemisphere do. Uh, this is a hemisphere where people value democracy, beside the Inter-American Democratic Charter. Um, there's a broad calls for respect for human rights and the rule of law, uh, and not to mention commercial transparency, and those are not the things that those countries uh, are upholding uh, in their engagement. Uh, but the relations of the countries of our hemisphere uh, with others are, are not for the United States to decide. Each country's free to choose its own partners, uh, and we want to lead by the force of our example and provide a positive partnership for the well-being of the peoples of our region. That was Ambassador Brian Nichols, Assistant Secretary for Western Hemisphere Affairs at the U.S. State Department, speaking with my colleague Celia Mendoza. Because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, adoption of Ukrainian children by foreigners has slowed to a halt. Ukraine's government is trying to restart the process. Andrei Boris has the story narrated by Anna Rice. A group of 200 U.S. families have appealed to Ukraine's authorities to allow them to foster Ukraine. Ukrainian orphans while the war in the country continues. These families were in the process of adopting children from Ukraine until Russia invaded the country and all adoptions effectively stopped. Look at it. See how he in 2021, Americans Steve and Liana Olney adopted two brothers and a sister from an orphanage in the Odessa region. But the Olney family also hoped to adopt the trio's sister Lisa. They were granted permission to officially adopt Lisa in 2022, but then Russia invaded Ukraine. We submitted a petition to Ukraine in October, but it was denied and they just said, you know, with you in the United States and her in Poland, we don't know how we would process the adoption. The Olneys are not alone. Some 200 U.S. families have united to appeal to both the Ukrainian and U.S. governments to help them finalize the adoption processes. Carolina Danehart represents the families. And there was such a threat of sex trafficking, human trafficking, children falling into the wrong hands. We're addressing that concern here by saying, sir, these people, your country, Ukraine, already approved. Six months after the Russian invasion, both domestic and foreign adoptions in Ukraine were put on hold. Oksana Zhalnovich, Ukraine's Minister of Social Policy, says domestic adoptions resumed in August of 2022. We prioritize domestic adoptions so that children can grow up in their native culture and surrounded by their native traditions. She says international adoptions have been allowed to resume. 
but only those where the potential adoptive parents had already met the child before the war and secured the child's agreement. Sabrina Dickinson is from Ukraine Care 300, a group that advocates for U.S. parents who want to adopt in Ukraine. There has been a program for many, many years where families host children from Ukraine, specifically orphans, sometimes, you know, underprivileged children that do not have orphan status, for them to stay with families between four and 12 weeks in the summer, as well as in the winter. And through that process, they decided if the child was orphan status, that they would like to adopt them. A former advisor to Ukraine's Minister of Social Policy, Leonid Lebedev, says letting U.S. families foster such kids until the end of the war could be a solution. It would be better for the kids. They would live not in orphanages, but with families they liked, the families that chose them. However, Zhalnovich says Ukraine doesn't have legislation for fostering children. The child can be allowed to temporarily live only with the closest relatives. This is what our laws allow. Despite the temporary difficulties, the Olnys keep in touch with Lisa. They saw her last over Christmas in Poland, and they talk on the phone all the time. For Andrew Boris in Washington, NRI's VOA News. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage on Ukraine and news from around the world 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us at VOA, thank you so much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. This is the voice of America. Washington, Papa, Bozette, D.C.